Hey, everybody. Are you with me when I say life can be amazing at times, but it can also be extremely challenging? I know. I've been there myself. Learned some valuable life lessons along the way, and now I'm here to help you. It's no coincidence you found your way to the Relevate podcast. I'm your host, Rena Olson, a self-proclaimed inspirer of others. Together, we're going to dive deep into raw and honest conversations with real people. My hope is that through these stories, you too will be inspired and ready to tackle whatever's holding you back or breaking your heart. Then you'll be free to live a life of purpose and true fulfillment. I promise it's possible. Let's Relevate. Hey friends, it's Rena Olson. Welcome to this episode of the Relevate Podcast. So as 2020 continues, many of us are struggling with any number of issues related to the ongoing pandemic, especially as it relates to our overall mental health. I think it's been an emotional struggle for even the most healthy of us and much more serious for those who suffer with any type of mental health disorder understanding that my identity is wrapped up in who God made me to be and I can have these struggles. And so giving that proper understanding of I have an anxiety disorder, I don't have to be an anxious person. Um, I have a depressive disorder, I'm not a depressed person. Those, you know, when we can frame it that way, it can be very helpful for us on a path of healing. Disclaimer here, this episode is not intended to be a substitute for professional counseling services, but instead, the spirit of the Relevate podcast, Stephen Walters of the Summit Counseling Center, and I are going to have a real and honest conversation with the goal to inspire and enlighten you. Let's get on with this very timely and informative discussion. Stephen Walters, welcome to the Relevate podcast. Hi, thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, well, it's so fun to be here with you. And I think mental health is just... Uh, we need to be talking about it more, especially in light of ongoing COVID quarantine. So sure. I just thank you so much for being here and sharing your knowledge and your heart and your expertise. And I think it's going to be really a powerful conversation. Well, thank you. Thank you. I'm very glad to be here with you. Thanks for letting me come on the podcast with you. Oh, sure. And a chance to help a, a whole lot of people. I mean, this is not intended to be a replacement for counseling, of course, but sometimes it just kind of helps to know what you may be dealing with or what other people are dealing with and uh, when it's time to really go seek a counselor because our mental health, I, I think so much emphasis is put on physical health, but mental right. health is something that we just, we need to pay more attention to. I, I really agree with that. And there's so many links between mental health and physical health, um, skin diseases that are related to anxiety, muscle pain that's related to depression. I mean, there's a lot of, of, of a link between the two. And I think we need to be a little bit more holistic and in incorporating that. Exactly. Exactly. Well, well, let's start off. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah. So uh, I'm a counselor at the Summit Counseling Center and uh, cool. I've been, been there for three years. Uh, I'm also a pastor uh, working in the church, been doing that for about 20 years. Um, I am a husband and a father, cool. uh, a big Georgia Bulldog fan. And, uh, uh, a word that I've been using more frequently lately is something I heard at a conference, uh, a fellow wayfarer in life, you know, just, we, we're all traveling this journey of life. And so I just like to be a person that tries to walk along this journey with other people. 
don't hear that word much. So what is a Wayfair? <laughs> Yeah. yeah, not shopping at Wayfair, but a Wayfair <laughs> in life. Yeah, I know that Wayfair. Oh, so what is, cool. what is the definition of Wayfair? A Wayfair is somebody that it is someone that goes on a journey by foot. And uh, I heard that at a conference that we're all Wayfarers. And I started to think about the idea that um, like the word Israel means walks with God, right? Mm -hmm. And so this is kind of like our identity as pe the people of God, or we are people that are traveling this path and we're, we're traveling the path with God, but we're also traveling the path with each other. Right. And so the idea of we're walking this together and I just, I want my identity to be, to be someone that is walking this path with other people. Oh, I love that so much. And I know in a previous conversation, you and I talked about how important human uh, companionship is and the whole epidemic of lonely that we're kind of going through right now. So we're going to say that for another conversation. I hope you'll come on the podcast again and we'll, we'll really dig into that because um, I think that's, that's a whole lot of our angst is coming from that. Sure. Definitely. definitely. Cool. So you were a pastor and yes. what made you decide to pivot to being a counselor? Yeah, that's it. It's, it's been a journey. Um, as a teenager, I felt called into ministry and always thought that would be um, pastoring a church and uh, started working in a church in college. And I, uh, I love to preach and um, had did that for a very long time. And then about six years ago, five, five or six years ago, started feeling like maybe God was calling me to a different form of ministry. Uh, I, I've always had this view the, the greatest thing that could build the kingdom of God is a strong local church. Yes. And so my calling was to like, you know, lead, lead a local church, pour into that, help make that strong, mm -hmm. you know, so that we can make a difference for God's kingdom. And then, uh, like I said, about five years ago, I started to, to realize what makes a strong local church are healthy individuals and families and marriages. And, and that maybe God was shifting my focus now into working into that to help, mm -hmm. help people be the best they could be. I have a, a real fundamental belief that we're all created to make a difference yes. and, and unique difference to each and every one of us. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to help unlock that difference within people so that anxiety and depression and grief and trauma don't prevent that. And, uh, and so went back to school to get my counseling degree uh, and started pursuing that as a way to work with individuals and marriages and families so that we can all make our difference for God's kingdom. Mm -hmm. Very cool. And when you look at it on such a granular level, I think it mm -hmm. quickly can become overwhelming because it's like, wow, how do you, how do you really drive change in a society when you're doing it one person at a time? But right. that's God's economy of scale, right? Absolutely. Yeah. No, that's a great way to say that. Yeah. Um, if I can make a difference in some people's lives, they're going to make differences in people's lives and, it, and it's going to continue to to cascade out. Right. And if you start with that nucleus of the family, there's a father struggling or a mother struggling or a marriage struggling, and you can get in there and shore up those walls and help people get the healing that they need, that they might not even know they need, it impacts for generations to come. Absolutely. Absolutely. So. And, and can undo, undo damage of previous generations and just really, really redefined eternity for, for people. Oh, so cool. So cool. Okay. So let's start with your perspective on faith and anxiety and the notion okay. that you can pray it away. Go, Stephen. Yeah, that's been a struggle for me. I, I have struggled with anxiety 
as long as I can remember. I mean, even, even in you early adolescence. Yes. Okay. Yes. I mean, I've, I've seen counselors for anxiety. Um, I have panic attacks. I, I all the things that, that individuals that have anxiety go through. Yeah. Um, and as a person of faith, there was a lot of talk growing up that you should pray more, read the Bible more, you trust in God more. Um, there's very good passages in scripture. Philippians, you know, four, six tells us, um, don't be anxious about everything, but in all things, you know, pray, uh, Peter and first Peter writes, you know, cast your anxiety on Christ because he cares for you. And, and I think those are very true, but I heard a pastor a few years ago, a pastor that I deeply respect and have received a lot of help from in his teaching say, if you show me a person that struggles with anxiety, and I will show you a person that struggles in their prayer life. And that was very painful for me to hear because I feel like I have a pretty strong prayer life. You know, I, I pray, I fast, I read scripture and I have anxiety. And so I don't think that it's one or the other. Um, I think that, yes, you can pray, you can go before the Lord with your anxiety and there can be healing in that. Sure. But I think that there can also be other ways that, that we can be healed as well. Jesus tells us, I think Jesus knew we'd have anxiety because in Matthew six, he tells us, well, don't worry about tomorrow, worry about today. So he's not saying don't worry. He's saying focus on the on worry that they can be dealt with in the moment. Like be a little bit more mindful of your worry, but it's not a sin for you to have this. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's my perspective. Yeah. And uh, and so I kind of cling to that in the idea that, you know, Jesus healed people. And that doesn't mean they had not asked for healing before, but it was the time that Jesus came. And so I can have anxiety and pray that the Lord works through it, but also understand that my healing may not come in that moment. It may come later. And there are other resources that God has provided to help me deal with the struggles that I have in anxiety. So I can pray and I can seek other help. So the fact that you've struggled with that for a number of years, you have that baseline of knowledge and understanding. I think that's very powerful when you can relate to what somebody's going through. Yeah, I hope so. Um, I think that helps me connect when I can express a, a term or a way that, it, that anxiety feels that other people don't get you know, and not use phrases that we hear in society, like, oh, just calm down. Well, that's not a helpful phrase with somebody that has anxiety. And I understand that. And so um, that does give me an ability to connect with people, again, journeying in this together. So, so to try to walk with them in the process of healing. Yeah. Well, and I love the fact that we're having these conversations, because there's, there's always stigma associated with um, when people don't understand it. Right. And I think the term anxiety, we're hearing it more and more. And there's there's been a lot of people who are coming forward with sharing their struggle with anxiety. But do you think some people self-diagnose themselves with having anxiety when really they may just be feeling anxious for a certain period of time? Can you help us understand the difference, Stephen? Yeah, that is a great a great difference to look at, um, because we we often have anxious moments. And that doesn't mean that we have an anxiety disorder. You know, our bodies are designed to have a level of anxiety and stress so that we can respond to stressful events, whether it's we need to run away from something that's scary or we need to fight something that uh, that's in our way. Um, how we handle that, like we have a physiological response to stressors. That's why when we have a test, we feel anxious about it. And that's not a disorder. That's a natural response. Like my younger son before his piano recitals tells me he has bees in his stomach. He doesn't have an anxiety oh. disorder, but he's stressed out about yeah, playing in front nervous. of us. 
you know? Um, and so, the, and so, yes, we have that. And often it serves a good purpose of helping us focus, um, you know, to put, put attention and concentration into whatever the stressor is. The, the struggle is when the stressor ends, I'm still very anxious about it. Or what is the kind of the, the, the phrase we use is dysregulation. What is dysregulating in my life because of my anxiety? I'm not sleeping. I'm getting irritable with people. Um, I can't concentrate. I'm not anxious about the test up until I start it, but I sit down at the test and I'm so anxious. I can't even read the first question. And so now I failed the test. Um, I freeze in a job interview because I'm so, I, because I'm so performance, you know, anxious about that. So when we start to have these moments that are then taking away from our ability to live and they continue to happen and happen and happen, that's when we're going from anxious moments to an anxiety disorder. So like frequency, how long it lasts and how much it dysregulates are the things that, that we need to pay attention to. And, and to kind of self-diagnose with anxiety can be harmful because now maybe instead of just dealing with a stressor, I start to avoid when I don't really have a need to, uh, to avoid that. Or I seek out, um, I use it as an excuse or a crutch when that's not really the, the full picture of what's going on. And it can minimize individuals that really do struggle with an anxiety disorder. And so that's, that's one of the things I really try to work with people on, especially parents of the adolescents that I work with is helping them understand whether or not their, their child is expressing I'm anxious versus like I have anxiety. Exactly. And I think a lot of times when we do that self diagnosis and we, we put a label on somebody or ourselves, then it becomes, yeah. then it becomes amplified, right. right? You give it a whole lot more attention and awareness and. Right. Um, yeah. And that's, and that's one thing that I, I've learned in my counseling school that I did not know uh, previous, you know, kind of like first person language of, of saying like, I'm a person that has an anxiety disorder versus like, I'm an anxious person. So it doesn't have to be your identity. You know, like if I get a, a sinus infection, I'm a person that has a sinus infection. I'm not mm -hmm. a, a, a person with bad sinuses, you know, like understanding that my identity is wrapped up in who God made me to be and I can have these struggles. And so giving that proper understanding of I have an anxiety disorder, I don't have to be an anxious person. Um, I have a depressive disorder. I'm not a depressed person. Those, you know, when we can frame it that way, it can be very helpful for us on a path of healing. Yeah. And I think a lot of times, you know, there, there's a counterbalance to that as well. Do you find that people that struggle with anxiety are more sensitive? I mean, there's usually, there's usually a, a positive counterbalance to that. Yeah, uh, it, it can be. I think, I think with people that struggle with anxiety, that they can be more sensitive to terminology of like calming down um, don't be so anxious, uh, things like that, that don't really address the root of what's causing mm -hmm. the anxiety, whether it's uh, feelings of lack of control or insecurity. And so if I can say things, you know, if we can hear things that, that help us feel like we have a little bit more control, we can feel things that make us feel a little bit more heard. Um, that naturally is going to reduce anxiety and let me know that, that there can be safe places to talk about that. And so there can be a sensitivity in the sense that like, if I keep getting told to calm down, calm down, calm down, people don't hear me and listen to me. And so now I just don't want to talk about it anymore at all. And I'll just deal with it by myself. Right. Right. So uh, with COVID and the quarantine and kind of uh, just the 
you know, the overall vibe of our country right now, I'm sure you were seeing more people with anxiety coming into your practice. Yes. So yeah, what are you, even, how, are, how are you helping people kind of through that? Yeah. You know, like I said, one of the biggest things about anxiety is kind of a lack of control. And when I'm told that I have to stay home, um, I have to wear masks, uh, I can't do this or I can't do that, like I, I lose control. Um, and so helping people, well, okay, you, you can't control that there's a virus out there, but what's something that you can control? You know, let's, let's try to work on the things that we can control in life. One thing that I work with people on is, you know, hey, you can control three things. You can control what you think, say, and do. So let's focus on that and not the things that you can't control, what other people think, say, and do. And, and trying to build that. The other, the other thing that's leading to a lot of anxiety is just disconnection. Sure. Um, and we've, we've referenced that a few times before, but if we can't physically be the same way connected with other people that we were before, what are things we can do to feel connected with people? You know, how do, how do we make that up? What are, what are ways that we can do that that's within our control um, so that that can help reduce anxiety about how other people are handling or feeling left out? Um, you know, if I can understand that, well, no, everyone's having to stay home or, you know, no one's getting to go to do something. I don't feel as left out. And that, that helps with anxiety as well, but it has been an increase, even in my clients that I haven't worked with for anxiety, their anxiety is up, yeah. you know, we're, we're missing out on those outlets that we have, you know, we're stuck in our house more, we're around our people, you know, our family a little bit more, and we're not getting maybe some of the breaks that, <laughs> that we need within that. Um, and when, when things didn't, it really, hit in August when school went back, but we were still at home. Yeah. And in March, I think all of us thought that by the new school year, we'd be back in yeah. school, everything fine. And then when that didn't happen, then we got a level of disappointment. Mm -hmm. And so that also increased anxiety. And, and so we're seeing a lot of that, you know, increasing in marriages and, and frustration with each other. How do we balance our kids have to do work at school, but now my job is expecting me to come back home or come back to the office. So yeah, just a, a lot of anxiety, even for people that that's not a, that's not like a disorder, a lot of anxiety about all the changes that we have to deal with. Yeah. So um, have you found any create creative ways that people are, are finding to be connected other than the usual, I mean, Zoom, I mean, I'm very thankful for this technology and I think it's, it's definitely helped, but are right. you hearing any other creative ways, ways to be connected? Yeah, I think so. Like, I know a lot of churches have worked very hard to have, um, you know, kind of virtual connection, whether it's out or, or like having outdoor worship. We can't be together in person. Let's get together outside. Um, finding ways to do that and that's safe has been very helpful for, for many individuals. I've actually seen individuals that weren't really church people that have sought that out because they want connection and that was a way to have that. Yeah, Zoom has been great. I, I struggle to think what would this pandemic have been like 20 years ago, right. um, you know, for my field or for, for counseling. I mean, so many ways or for, in the church, like to not have technology. Um, so I'm finding people, you know, trying to engage in that, you know, virtual happy hours with work or FaceTiming with friends and family um, or just getting outside. Uh, I'll see groups of kids running around in the neighborhood. They're not really touching, but they're running around together and they just feel more connected, yeah. you know? And so trying to find those ways has been helpful. Yeah. And nature provides such a great reset. It really does. Yeah. Get outside. If you're feeling confined, I mean, thank goodness we, 
Well, I think most of my listeners are in Metro Atlanta area, but we've had yeah. unbelievable weather this whole time. Yes. So yes. it has been like, you know, the combination of outside like, and physical activity for me is it yeah. works wonders. Yes. Hiking. I've noticed an increase in, in people that I work with hiking and my family, we love to go hiking. Mm-hmm. Um, and whenever we try to go to like the places we like to hike at, they're just packed. Yeah. You know, we're just getting out, <laughs> you know, and, and enjoying that. That's good. That's good. So I've been watching some of the numbers and, and I heard somebody call it deaths of despair, which it just, um, it's a heartbreaking term, but the alarming rise of numbers of suicides and overdose deaths. Can you speak to that? Or are y'all seeing that in, in your practice? I have noticed an increase a little bit in, in some of the, the suicidal kind of what we call suicidal ideation. So thoughts about suicide. Um, I've noticed an increase in that. We've had a few more, uh, you know, we crisis assessments where people call up and they're in that place where they're very concerned about it. And so we'll kind of assess them to see what next steps need to be taken. Um, we're finding that across the age, you know, like adult and younger. Um, so it definitely is a concern. Um, thankfully none, I have not experienced that in any of the people that I've worked with, like in terms of having actually completed a suicide. Um, but it, it, it is very real and the concern is, is increased. I mean, the thoughts are there, the despair is there because of people losing jobs, people are losing income, um, people are losing connection. And so it's, it's there and it, and it's, it's heartbreaking. And so trying to find those ways to help connection, to help get, move past isolation and, and to feel community, uh, certainly very, very important. Right. And I guess the, the big thing for my listeners, should mm-hmm. you be concerned about a loved one that is struggling with suicide, what, sh- what should they do? What course of action should they take? Yeah, that's a great, great question. Thank you for asking that question. Um, we try to do a lot of, of help in, in kind of breaking down the fear and concern about suicide. Like that's one of the big focuses of the summit. And that's why I wanted to work at the summit. Um, there's a concern that if I ask somebody, are you thinking about killing yourself, that that's going to give them the idea to kill themselves. And what research shows us is that if somebody doesn't have that thought, you saying it's not going to give them the idea. But the opposite is very true. If somebody's having that thought and you ask them and they say it, it reduces the idea of it because they don't feel alone anymore. You know, it's not this thing that I have to keep deep inside of me, it's something I can talk about. And that naturally is going to reduce that. And so if you have a family member that you're concerned is thinking about hurting themselves or is thinking about killing themselves to say, to ask them that, say, Hey, I notice you're, you're, you're seeming really alone. I, I noticed that you're, you know, you're making these comments about not wanting to live anymore. I'm just curious. Are you thinking of, you know, are you thinking of, of killing yourself? And that's a hard thing to say, that's a very, very hard thing to say, but it's a very powerful thing for the person that's having those thoughts to hear and then to be able to respond to. Right. Um, and, and, and phrasing is very important too. Like we used to say, are you thinking of harming yourself or hurting yourself? And for an individual that's really considering suicide, that the act of, of dying by suicide then is, is actually taking away the pain that they're experiencing. So that's not a way that they would be harming themselves. And so just asking somebody, are you thinking of killing yourself? Or you talk about not wanting to live anymore. Are you thinking about doing something like that? 
just gives the ability to express what's going on. It won't put an idea in their head, but it can, it can stop the idea from becoming a reality. Yeah. Oh, it is. I mean, as a parent to have to say those words, uh, it's, it's gotta be yeah. so hard, but that that's what does love require of me? Sometimes it, it requires you to be really, really bold in asking those very tough questions. So thank you for coaching us through that. It's a tough one to, to really navigate is. for sure. So in addition to the bigs like uh, addiction, suicide, mm-hmm. anxiety, anything else that you're seeing people are really struggling with these days? You know, kind of like what's the future going to be like? Mm-hmm. And so... Uh, or just kind of that disappointment. Um, I, I work with a lot of teenagers and their senior, you know, those that were oh, seniors last yeah. year didn't go the way they thought it would. Yeah. They didn't get to have the senior picnic. They didn't get to have graduation. Um, college didn't start off the way that they thought it would. Or those that are seniors now, um, you know, I'm not getting to have my senior season in this sport, or I don't know if I'm gonna get to have my senior season in this sport or something like that. So a lot of just kind of that disappointment over what the what we thought the picture was going to be, and so we work to try to reframe what the picture can be. Mm-hmm. And you know, okay, again, we can't control that there's a, a pandemic, but we can control what we're doing. And so, how can we do that in a way that meets goals and makes us feel good about that? And uh, and that's been helpful um, because when when things are disappointing, right, we get angry with each other. Yeah. We get we get irritable. We get frustrated when we're disappointed. So parents and kids don't get along. Husbands and wives aren't getting along. And it's not so much because they don't love each other. It's just they're very disappointed. And so how do we reframe disappointment into something that gives us an ability to have control and, um, and, and to just live into a different reality? Right. And I think a lot of times kids take their cues from the parents. Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> maybe, you know, a self-check on how you're responding. Because, I mean, you know, we're so in tune with our kids and when they're disappointed, we're, you know, our natural reaction is to be disappointed. Right. But instead, how should we, you know, how should we be handling that? You know, well, with a parent, with a child, you know, I think sitting around and discussing what you're disappointed in is good. Mm -hmm. And then discussing, okay, so we can be disappointed and what are things that we can be excited about? I heard this early on that a lot of parents right now are mad because kids aren't in school and it's messing up work. And so they're frustrated and, and, or they're concerned about their job. I mean, real, real concerns. And so they're expressing that kids are thinking, man, mom and dad are home for dinner every night. Like we get to go on family walks. We're playing games. We're watching TV together. We're spending more time together. Mm. You know, we're not wasting all the time driving. We're not wasting all this time with homework or whatever. And so from a kid's perspective, it could be very, very positive, but then they hear mom and dad be very disappointed. And so now that now the kid feels like, oh, well, maybe this isn't a good thing. Do mom and dad not want to spend time with me? Is it, are they sad that we're playing games? You know, so yes, why don't we talk about what are the things we're disappointed with? I can't go play with my buddy. My baseball season got canceled, whatever. What are the things that we're excited about? We're having dinner together and that's a lot of fun. You know, we got to watch all the Marvel movies this summer. That was a lot of fun. You know, something like that, that where we can discuss both of those, I think it's very helpful and a good sense of connection for a family. Yeah. And it's, it's a shared experience as a family. (laughs) We are all going through this together and we're going to, we're going to have a whole lot of stories to tell for, for years to come or pandemic stories because this too shall pass. Yes. Right. 
Yes. It's going to pass. Then, we're going to be, we're, I mean, the, the old normal is, it's right. forever changed, but right. I don't know, for me, that's kind of um, looking forward to, there, there will be some positive outcomes from this. I, I, oh, I feel it. Definitely. Uh, we, I talk with a lot of my clients, we phrase it this way. There were the before times, there's the now times, and then there's going to be the after times. And the after times are not going to be like the before times. In some ways, they'll be better. And so, like, what are we looking forward to in the after times? Right. Yeah. Right. And how do you how do you drive kind of that positive change? I mean, I think it starts. It's that power of one. You know, mm-hmm. it's like I'm going to embrace this and make the best of it during the during time. And um, mm-hmm. you know, let's ex- expectantly wait on what is is to come because there's there's right. good times ahead for sure. So for someone who is struggling, how do you know when it's time to seek the help of a counselor? Sure. Uh, that's, and that's a great question too. I know that for me personally, let me give like what, what it was for me personally. And then what I think can be helpful for others for me personally, it was to the point where, um, I was almost the point where I couldn't get out of bed. Like there's a difference between I'm sad and I don't want to get out of bed or I'm depressed and I can't get out of bed. Like I was getting to that point where I, I couldn't get out of bed. I didn't enjoy work anymore. I didn't want to see people. I felt alone. I felt just, it was starting to negatively impact my life. And the, and my anxiety had gone from, um, maybe I would avoid a little bit or procrastinate to like, I wasn't doing things and I couldn't do things. And so that's when I knew I needed to see a counselor and, and kind of in general, when you start to notice that your, your quality of life or your ability to care about yourself, your ability to relate to other people is not what you want it to be. I'm getting angry all the time and I don't want to be angry. I'm not talking to people anymore. And I miss, I miss conversations. Uh, I can't focus at work anymore. I don't even want to work anymore. When you start to get to where your life is dysregulated, I think that's when it's helpful then to reach out, talking to a counselor, there may need to be some medication. Um, but, but finding those resources, you don't have to do it alone. And so don't, don't continue to struggle with a life that's, that's miserable or not what you desire it to be, but find those resources to help you be the full person that you were designed to be. There you go. And I think so many times other issues pop up like addiction. Um, yeah. It's, it's, it's often a result of pain. You know, yeah. People are trying to, to mask the pain and then it becomes something that's uncontrollable. So Absolutely. So much of that goes back to, you know, dealing with that trauma or that working on mental health. Right. Right. And yeah, and addiction, we are, you know, that's been a big, uh, a big source of, of concern right now as well as drinking more because of, of isolation or, or other things to help feel better and cope because yeah, a lot of it um, comes from feeling alone, from feeling despair. And so just increases in that. And when it's, when it's starting to become, that's the only way I think I can feel better. Then we need to address that. Um, when it's getting between me and, and my family, me and my job, me and my relationships, that's when we need to address that. Mm. Yeah. And a lot of times that's hard to see when, when you're the one yeah. that's doing that. Okay. So, uh, if somebody feels they need a counselor, what can you give us some tips on how do you go about doing that and what should you be looking for? Sure. Uh, the first, the first tip that I I like to give is go talk to your path. Like if you're a person of faith and you're in a church, talk to your pastor. I know that like we at the summit and, and my 
myself, like I try to build relationships with the pastors in my community just to let them know what resources are there. And I'll even talk to pastors about like our counseling center, but other counseling centers too. Sure. Because as a former you know, pastor in a church, I knew that I had to be able to send my folks to people that I trusted. Mm-hmm. So I would want to have those resources. So I think a lot of pastors have counselors that they know and would love to be able to help you find them, whether it's in a marriage, family, your kids, yourself. Um, so I think talking to your pastor if you're in the church is a, is a good way to start. The other thing about that is if you trust your pastor enough with your soul on Sunday morning, right, then trust them with your mental health that they will help you get the resources you need. Sure. So I think that's a, I think that's a good place to start. Um, then the other place that I, I like to help people find referrals, if I don't know anyone in their area, Psychology Today mm-hmm. is, a, is a website, psychologytoday.com, and they have a great find a therapist tool where you can put in, you're looking for a person of faith, mm-hmm. right? So you can put in what your faith is, you know, and then what you're struggling with, if it's anxiety, depression, addiction, obsessive compulsive disorder, whatever it is that you're struggling with. And it, and it can match people in your area that practice that they're competent in that area. They integrate faith. You can read about them. You can check out their website and then look at their website, read their bio, see what they've done, do a little bit of research on that beforehand so that you kind of have an idea if you think that they can handle that or not. So I, those are, those are the ways that I normally, when I try to find referrals for people and, and, and then point them to that, Talk to your pastor first, see if they have ideas. If not, you know, Psychology Today is a, a pretty good resource to, yeah. to help find that. And for me, the church is best when it's helping people who yeah. are hurting and broken. And yeah. even if you're not a member of, of a church, they're going to extend a helping hand to help you get help. I mean, that's, that is not a pre- prerequisite by any means. Right. Um, North Point Ministries has a great referral network. Oh, yeah, they um, do. They're one of the best, I mean, they're probably the best church I'm aware of in terms of being that intentional mm-hmm. and building pastors in the communities of all where the North Point churches are um, so that they, so people can go there and you don't have to be a member of North Point to use their referral network, pastors that they vetted, they've talked to, that they feel comfortable if you're looking for faith to be integrated. Right. And they're going to make it easy to get help, you know, yeah. and not, and not awkward. So I, I guess, you know, if you feel that, you need some help, get some help. I mean, don't suffer in silence and don't suffer alone. Very and um, are, are you online? I guess you're doing your counseling online now. So that it's online yes. sessions instead of in person. Yeah, right, and that's- right now, uh, I'm 100% online. Mm-hmm. At our counseling center, we have some that are 100% online, some that are back, 100% back, and then some that are kind of a hybrid, mm-hmm. uh, which has been kind of a, a nice thing about I did not want to do telemental health. I thought that that would not, I just didn't want to do that. I like to be with people and then COVID happened. And so <laughs> I went to that and I've been able to, to get clients from areas where they don't have therapists. You know, they're in communities that don't have therapists, but because of telehealth, that barrier is gone. Yeah. And so, so we can do that. And, uh, and so I'm very, very thankful for the technology and, and thankful to be able to do that and to build those relationships with people. Um, so that's what I do. And so geography is not a problem, you know, uh, but I'm, I'm seeing some that are back in and some that are doing both. So with people being out of church, are you seeing any repercussions from that? Yeah, uh, I know that, you know, in, in my church and then people that I work with in counseling, that feeling of, of disconnected, but also 
what will it be like to go back? Because maybe now I kind of like the idea that I can participate in church and I don't have to spend, it's, somebody said this good, it's not a five hour commitment anymore to go to church on Sunday. It's a one hour commitment. Right. And I'm wondering what, what that's going to look like when churches are, are fully back opened and, 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 you know, there's either vaccine or whatever the future is and the aftertimes are right. How many people are going to, are going to prefer the one hour versus the five hour and how do we make community happen that way? And so we're, I know that we're trying to figure out a model of what does it look like to have in-person community groups as well as how do we make that happen for those that want to be home and, and with Zoom and utilize technology that way. But I'm definitely seeing a more disconnection. Um, and so we try to intentionally reach out to people in our church and um, check in on them and see how they're doing because we don't get to chat on Sunday morning. I'm missing, I'm missing my church probably just about more than anything. I miss my, as a, as a preacher, I miss my people. I, I do not like preaching to a camera. <laughs> so I get that. It is not an easy thing to do. So um, switching gears a little bit, uh, you and I talked a little bit about kind of the noise that is coming at us from all directions, a lot of that being really, really negative um, noise, you know, so we're dealing with the pandemic, but then we, you know, we have all this racial tension, and now we have the, the noise from the election, and I think it's just, um, even for people who have pretty good mental health, it's almost like, I just cannot take it, you know? Um, what tips do you have for us to, to be able to, to better kind of, I don't know if we need um, boundaries or guidelines, or how do, we, how do we kind of navigate through all of that? Sure. Um, I go back to what I said about control, is try to remember the three things you can control, what you think, what you say, and what you do. Mm-hmm. The three things you cannot control are what other people think, what other people say, and what other people do. And so if I want to know more about a subject, I can control what I read about it. I can control where I'm looking to that and and how I process that. I can't control how somebody is saying it, Mm -hmm. right? So I can get on social media and I can get mad at people for being what I consider to be ignorant or wrong, Mm -hmm. but I can't control them and their thoughts. Right. And Um, you arguing with them is not going to change them. Hello. It doesn't (laughs) doesn't work that way. I don't think anyone's opinion's ever been changed over Facebook. Um, you know, I, one one tip, one tip that I have have given to, especially to some of the teenagers I work with, um, write the response you want to put on social media, like write it out, and then read through it, and filter it. Is this kind? Is this helpful? Does this express who I really am? Um, does this make me feel better? If I say this, will it make me feel better? Or will I feel worse? You know, am I hurting someone? Um, so I type it, I kind of filter it through that lens and then I delete it. And sometimes just getting the words out and me seeing it. Okay. Well, I could say this, it's not going to make a difference. I could say this, but it might hurt someone's feelings. I could say this, but it doesn't really express what I say. I can delete it, but now I feel better because I did something about that. And I regained a sense of control. Um, so those are the filters I've given with a lot of people, especially that are very active on social media, yeah. because as you said, you're not going to change anyone's yeah. mind. Well, I think a lot of times your response in the heat of the moment is a whole lot different than when you've chilled out a minute right. and haven't had a chance to, to be a little bit more rational. It's less emotional, mm-hmm. more rational. 
which right. is the, always the better approach. Absolutely. I'll tell people if you're real angry about something at work, type the email and put it in your drafts. Don't put in, don't put to who it's to in the, in the sub, exactly. in the address, cause you might accidentally send it, but type the email and save it. Mm-hmm. Wait 24 hours, come back and look at it. Yeah. Is that re- now is that really what I want to say, you know, before yeah. I send it? Yeah. That hitting that pause button is, I think it's always a good idea when, when yes. you, when you're feeling like, you know, you have, you have to reply. Mm-hmm. Right. And having trusted people in your life too, that you can ask, Hey, if I say this, how do you think this will go? Mm-hmm. Um, it's very, it's a very good processing thing as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I don't know, I, um, with social media, it, people are just, especially tw- I cannot get on Twitter cause it's just, it's people are just treating each other so, so badly. Uh, I don't know as, as people of faith, we are really called to Mm -hmm. a higher level to lead with love and not to not to be ugly i mean it's just people are just being so ugly with each other and that's and that goes back to the filter of is it kind is it helpful and for a person of faith you know not to be cliched what would jesus do right but like what would jesus think of me saying this Mm -hmm. and am i promoting the character and nature of jesus by saying this right Sometimes Jesus said harsh things to people. Mm-hmm. You know, there might be times we need to we need to speak truth and love. Um, but am I speaking truth and love, or am I speaking truth? Am I speaking my truth in pain? Am I speaking my truth in anger? Yeah. And you know, that's good. That's good. Kind of yeah. So a couple of times you've you've mentioned that we're all made for a purpose, yeah. right? Um, let's talk a little bit of, about that because I think as life goes on and we kind of get in our, our routine, a lot of us feel like maybe we've, we're, we've lost our purpose or that we're, we're off track. Um, any words of advice for us on how we can kind of rediscover that and, and reset? Sure. Yeah. Um, I get asked that a lot. And so I say, well, what are you passionate about? Like what, what are the things that kind of drive you? And I'm not, you know, you may be, uh, you know, you may be an accountant and you're passionate about accounting. Okay, great. That's the difference you were made to make, but you may be um, an accountant and you're passionate about people, uh, about education. Well, maybe, maybe that's the difference you were created to make. I think, I think our passions come from a place inside of us that, that like God part of us about I'm being compelled to do something. And so what are you passionate about? And, and if you, if you aren't passionate about anything, maybe you've been, you've been off track for so long that it's kind of died down. So how do we rediscover that? What, what have you been passionate about? What makes you feel alive? Trying to discover that. Um, because I think that, that there, there's a part of God in all of us, right? Like we're made in God's image. And so being made in that image, like there's something in there right. that only, that God wants only you to do. And, uh, and so what are you passionate about? Then what are you gifted for? Maybe you're not operating within your gifting and, and there's a, there's a difference between something that I can do that I can be good at versus something that I can do that I can be best at. And that was a lot of my discovery and going from pastoring to counseling. I was good at it, but it wasn't what I was best at. And now in counseling, I feel like I'm doing what is best for God's kingdom versus doing something that's good for God's kingdom. And so I may be good in whatever my profession is, but that may not be what I'm best at. And so I also like to try to talk through with people what you're doing is good. What could be best? if you don't feel settled, because I think we, we kind of know when we're lacking something. Mm-hmm. I think we know when we're doing something that's not really fulfilling. 
that restlessness and, of spirit. Yeah. And so let's try to find what, what hits your passion, what hits your talent, what makes you feel like you would be best, like for, for making a difference. Because I really do believe I, no matter how gifted, smart, influential you can be, everyone can make a difference. Sure. Some people make a difference that's more pronounced than other people. Some people make a difference that goes unnoticed by almost every person, but everyone can make a difference. Right. Don't be afraid to start small. We all have, we all want to have like a really big vision for our lives, or a lot of us do. You know, we just, we kind of create something so big that it seems unattainable. Right, right. Right, but everything is built, it's it's all about baby steps. I say this probably every episode. Everything (laughs) is built with baby steps. Don't you think? You know, it's just, it's a little bit at a time. Yes. There's a movie scene that I love in Apollo 13 when Kevin Bacon and Bill Paxton are arguing about the landing trajectory of coming back to earth. And, and Tom Hanks is like, listen, 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 you guys are talking about step like 432 and we're on step eight. Like, yeah, what's, what's the step now? Let's just kind of focus on the step now. And like you said, oh, it's probably so a baby step. It's a small, like, I don't know what 10 years is going to be like. I can't, I can't do anything about that right now, but I can take care of it right now. And see, Stephen, I love that you mentioned that because a, a counselor can help you kind of process through that too, right. you know, because it's, it's not mental health. It's your life. It's your family. It's your career. It's all, it's all mm-hmm. bundled up into to one package that makes you you. And probably a lot of times it's discovery to help people really figure out what, where do we need to be focused here? Is it a, you know, is it an unhappy marriage or so? Super thankful there's people like you out there helping make lives better. And if you're struggling in any kind of way, I mean, just, you know, be bold in, in getting help because it can, it can make a huge, a huge difference. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So one last question for you. It's the relevate question. So okay. the word relevate means to uplift or inspire. In closing, what words do you have for my listeners about coping with COVID? Remember, you're not alone. We can feel alone because we're at our house alone or we can't smile at each other at the grocery store. Like we can feel alone. You're not alone. We're, we're struggling with this. We're learning through this. It's okay to tell people that you're hurting. It's okay to tell people that you're struggling. Most people are struggling too. And so we can express this and find that, hey, maybe we've got some commonality in that. And there are ways to connect, you know, Let's take advantage of the technology of, you know, the year 2020. Let's take advantage of being in Metro Atlanta and having beautiful parks and hiking trails and places that we can go. And just remember, you don't have to be alone in this. There are people that want to help. There are family and friends that want to help. There's professionals that want to help, but we don't have to be alone. Such good advice. Stephen, thank you so much for being here and representing the Summit Counseling Center. It's been just an absolute Pleasure to have this conversation with you and uh, just really talk through some of this really powerful tools for helping us coping with COVID because it is an ongoing thing. It is. It is. Well, thank you so much for having me. This has been a lifelong dream to be on a podcast. So thank you for making that happen for me. (laughs) Awesome. Well, would love to have you on again. And there's, I'm sure there's lots we can talk about. So keep up the great work in helping those families. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. No question, friends. 2020 has been tough on our mental health. 
If you're struggling in any way, I would encourage you to reach out and talk to someone and get help if necessary. Your local church is always a great place to start. Opening up the discussion with friends and family can also put you on a path to healing. Hang in there, friends. We will get through this together. For me, I've found that by putting up a few strategic guardrails, that I'm able to function on a less depressive level. For me personally, that means limiting news, social media, and sometimes winnowing out those people in my life who may be causing me that internal strife. You know who they are. Often that act is as simple and easy as hitting the unfollow button. Special thanks to my friend Stephen Walters of the Summit Counseling Center for being here today. You can find Summit Counseling online at summitcounseling.org. No doubt we are navigating unprecedented times. Let's reach for more love, more service, and more compassion toward one another. I'm Rena Olson, and this is Relevate.